0: I make some of them that are just curiosities or something, but uh, lots of people have a use for one, and so... When I was growing up,
1: my mother had a plain, flat, wooden mixing spoon. She kept it in the right-hand drawer under the counter.
2: There's no doubt about it, my favourite kitchen utensil is definitely the wooden spoon. Mine's worn out, it's cracked down the centre, there's a black smudge of charcoal along its side. This where... is the Food Podcast, a Village Soundcast Network production
3: where personal stories are shared through the
0: lens of food. Well, I'll look at, at the thing and uh, sometimes I just have a feeling, but sometimes I see something weird. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson.
3: We are a chocolate chip-making family. Always have been. It's an activity, a treat, and the best reward. My mom always made a big batch. She thought not doubling recipe was a waste of time. She used a recipe from our local ski hill. It made enough for a cafeteria full of hungry skiers, or myself and my three sisters. She stored the cookies in Tupperware built for a good-sized cake. I think it held 100 cookies. She used a big mixing bowl that she kept in a pull-out drawer. The butter always came straight from the fridge. My mom was a spontaneous cookie maker. She always creamed the butter with a well-worn wooden spoon. One she thinks probably came from a craft fair in New Brunswick. The kind with a handle strong enough to manage the cold butter, but slim enough to fit nicely in her hand. I'd watch as she stirred the mixture at dizzying speed, around and around with a fluid fast motion, I'd ask her for a turn, but would get frustrated by how uncoordinated it felt, how weak my arm was. My mom was so strong. It's funny how things work out. Today, she says that women from her generation worry about their triceps, how those firm, batter-mixing muscles can turn into loose chicken wings. But she's still strong, albeit the cookie arm more so than the other. Meanwhile, over in my kitchen, I have a KitchenAid a powerful mixer with an attachment hook for bread, a paddle for dough, and a whisk for lighter things. I use the paddle most of the time. I put a cup of butter in the bowl, room temperature if I remember to leave it out, but most often cold because I'm a spontaneous cookie maker like my mom. I add two cups of sugar, then I lower the top down and stab the butter with the paddle. I turn it on and walk away as the paddle struggles through the cold butter, working the sugars through slowly as the butter is softened enough to churn freely. I stroll back over, crack in two eggs, tip in the vanilla, scrape down the sides with my wooden spoon. Then I walk away again. When that's smooth, I turn the mixer off, take off the paddle, and position a sieve over the bowl. I add flour, baking soda, and some salt. I stir it all together. Everything falls through the sieve like snow. I take the sieve away. I add chocolate chips. My wooden spoon moves easily through the dough. The hard part happened when I was doing something else, like turning on the oven or checking my email. Have I mentioned I also pay to belong to a gym, where I try to work my triceps on a regular basis? By the way, my mother didn't raise me before modern conveniences. She says she liked making cookies in a bowl with a wooden spoon without the competing noise of a machine so she could listen to the radio. And to work those arms so the calorie burn could balance out the cookie dough intake. Her wooden spoon churned through hundreds of batches of cookie dough. It had a scorched tip from a long contact on the bottom of a soup pot and a singed handle from being left on a burner. But the spoon is still there in a jar on the counter, ready to turn any arm into a firm cookie-making beauty, free of charge. Today on the Food Podcast, I talk with Taryn Dodd, wooden spoon maker from Cape Breton. He shares his story, traveling from the Pacific Northwest to a small island on the east coast of Canada. A place full of hardwood and hope, perfect for his woodworking skills. Journalists Sky Manson and Dick Miller also share their love for the wooden spoon. It's all about handmade beauty, strength and discipline. Today on the Food Podcast. On my kitchen counter is an old stone crock, a treasure I found at a junk shop. Inside sits my wooden spoons, a big maple ladle with rippled grain, a wacky red plum spoon with a hole in the twisted handle, a pale beach smaller spoon where disease made a natural hole in the ladle that's perfect for stirring, and a lilac spoon with a fine purple vein running through its middle. It's not your average collection. The spoons are made by Taryn Dodd, a carver from Cape Breton. I buy spoons from Taryn whenever I see him at the Halifax Crafters, a local craft fair that happens twice a year. His stall is my favorite. Because when you buy a spoon from Terran, you'll always get a story. Wooden spoons are unique that way. They hold stories. The story of the tree, the wood, the grain of the wood, the shape of the ladle. He doesn't tell you how to use the spoon. That's up to you. My wooden spoons spark conversations. When I talk about them or share images of them, wooden spoon stories come out of the woodwork. Everyone has a favorite, and inevitably, a spanking story comes up. Yes, when I was little, disciplining with a wooden spoon was still the norm. My mom even had a wooden spoon that read, Mother's Helper. <laughs> it's true. I can't remember being spanked with it, but I do remember scissor-kicking the sofa, laughing hysterically as she chased me with it. Sky Manson, an Australian journalist and co-host of the podcast My Open
2: Kitchen, shared her thoughts on wooden spoons with me. There's no doubt about it, my favourite kitchen utensil is definitely the wooden spoon. Mine's worn out, it's cracked down the centre, there's a black smudge of charcoal along its side where me, the ever-absent-minded cook, has left it sitting on the pan for too long. I can't bear to buy a new one, but I could almost do with a wooden spoon for every meal that I cook, as well as a myriad of other things of inside of the kitchen and out. An impromptu microphone... Well sounded and sturdy as a drumstick, as dress up dollies for our children. Yeah, children. Childhood. Wooden spoons. I know what you're thinking, and I am remembering the same, but it makes me laugh and it stirs a wonderful nostalgia within me. This time, it wasn't actually the simple wooden spoon as we know it today. Smacking in our house was done with a spoon that's rectangular and ridged. My aunt tells me these spoons are butter pats that my great grandmother, who I never met, loved. She'd use them every day for rolling butter from the cream of cows that were once milked every day on our farm. Happy memories, she says, and mine are too. It's Sunday afternoon. Mum's standing at the kitchen bench cooking dinner, looking out over our back veranda onto the lawn where my three siblings, one brother and two sisters, and my dad and I are bowling a red plastic cricket ball to each other on our freshly mown cricket pitch. The day's getting on, the sun's starting to go down. Something happens. One of the girls is crying, and my brother is to blame. The wooden spoon comes out and Dad's in charge. My brother obligingly sticks out his bottom and Dad swings. And even though we all know what's going to happen, we still carry on the ritual. Dad swings, the timing impeccable, and at the last minute my brother pulls his bottom in and runs. Laughter from all of us ensues. And it's these stories of the Butterpats that still get laughed about today by my family.
3: A few months ago, I was in Cape Breton with my sister, driving along St. Patrick's Channel, not far from Roseburn, where Taryn lives. I knew we'd be close by, so I asked if we could visit his workshop. I wanted the other side of the wooden spoon story, the origin story. We crossed three single-track bridges, lost our GPS connection but eventually arrived at his wooden home at the base of Campbell Mountain, overlooking a small apple orchard. Taryn's workshop is attached to the side of his house. It's a bright, sunlit space. There's an air of creative inspiration there. A cable is suspended from the ceiling with a thing on the end that looks like a microphone. Taryn tells me it's an electrical pad sander not a microphone.
0: I'm not holding up to my mouth. I'm holding it down here into a spoon or a bowl.
3: There's a drill press, a die grinder, an inflatable drum sander, a bandsaw. All these tools make the process faster. He says he used to use a hatchet, knife, and gouge to make a spoon. But now with all of this, Taryn can make a spoon in 30 minutes. His workbench is beneath a window, overlooking apple trees. There's a mountain off in the distance. Gaelic is still spoken in Cape Breton. Taryn had told me earlier that the language was one of the reasons he came to Cape Breton. I take this opportunity to share the two Gaelic words I know. Ben Bria.
0: Beautiful mountain, yeah. In fact, there's a name for this mountain. They tell me it's called Ben Akalik, the old woman's mountain. I didn't know that name until recently when uh, somebody told me, but there's (laughs) no old woman or anybody else up there anymore today.
3: It's a quiet part of the world, but this room, it's alive. The bench is covered with spoons of all different shapes, sizes, and types of wood. I can see that wood varies in color depending on the type of tree. Taryn says that they have their own smell, too, especially when they've been freshly cut or sanded. Beech and oak have a similar smell. Taryn says it's sour, almost like a pickle. Maple has a scent he just can't describe, and the same goes for red and yellow plum. But lilac...
0: It smells like incense. It doesn't smell like live flowers. It smells like incense.
3: Taryn is in a wheelchair. He has multiple sclerosis, but it doesn't seem to hold him back. As we chat, he reaches for Wood, moves his chair around, and slides into the spot in front of the bench that fits his chair perfectly. All his tools are within reach. He says he's been in the chair for a year or so. I ask him if it's been hard to work in this new
0: way. Being disabled this way It cuts down how much I can get done. But
3: before I know it, his eyes focus and he switches from struggle to his methods.
0: I start out cutting them out on that bandsaw. And then I'll cut out a bunch of them. A lot of times I'll cut out, oh, a whole batch of them, 50 of them or so. And then I'll come over here, and um, this is a belt sander. And if you put it up like that, you can grind you can around the curve better without making a bunch of flat sides on I it. I
3: pull up a little stool next here. to his chair. Taryn tells feet. me I'm sitting and on a sawed-off big bulb you. found on a Douglas fir. The legs of the branches the turned upside down and trimmed.
0: Lots of people call it a burl, but it's not really a burl. I just call them lumps because a burl is a, a lump that is made by a bunch of buds trying to grow out from some one place that don't sprout out into a a branch. And so you get a lump there, and sometimes there's a couple of branches growing out of it, and sometimes it's not, it's just all lumpy. And that results in the grain that they call bird's eye, a whole lot of little knots. Some might think these
3: lumps are ugly, Woodworkers like Taryn see beauty. They see bowls, spoons, or what's beneath me, a stool.
0: Well, I'll look at, at the thing and uh, sometimes I just have a feeling. But sometimes I see something weird.
3: Like the spoon on the bench, the long one with feet on the end of the handle? Well... <laughs> Taryn is a member of the Seed Savers Exchange, When he was living on the West Coast, he acquired a variety of quinoa seeds, the kind that grow in a short season, about knee-high. Not the usual quinoa that grows as high as your head. He found a woman through his Seed Savers catalog who had some, so he wrote to her, and she agreed to send him some.
0: Her name is Greta Löffelbein, and Löffelbein means spoon-leg. So therefore I thought, you know, I should make her a... (laughs) A spoon that that, uh, expresses that. So I I have done it, but I haven't quite finished. So she will be surprised to get that in the mail someday.
3: (laughs) Then there was this other spoon on the bench with a massive ladle made out of a substantial lump from a maple tree.
0: It was firewood, and uh, it was split when I got it. And I started trying to hollow it out into a, a big ladle and I was finding cracks in it that I had to avoid so I couldn't use this part here and and then I went and got a hole through it there. So therefore I will have to either throw it away or leave a hole in it or put something in the hole. You can't just put a piece of wood in the hole, it just looks like a patch. I'm inclined to try with this one uh, putting a piece of uh, abalone shell in there. I have some abalone shell, and so I can cut out a little piece, grind it into shape, and epoxy it in there. It should come out nice.
3: I like the idea of beauty coming from mishap. A burl is a sign of distress that comes from an injury, a virus, or fungus. Trauma in lilac wood is what creates that lovely purple vein in my spoon. Curvy grains in maple tell the story of struggle or something in the tree's path altering the path of its growth. Even a pearl is a sign of an attack. A grain of sand, or more likely a parasite, works its way into an oyster. And the oyster fights back by coating the intruder with layer upon layer of nacre, the opalescent coating that also lines the inner layer of an abalone shell. When I told my friend Dick Miller, a radio documentary producer, that I was working on an episode about wooden spoons, like Skye Manson, he came back with his wooden spoon story. Wooden spoons can hold joy, flavor, and a few layers of nacre too.
1: When I was growing up, my mother had a plain, flat, wooden mixing spoon. She kept it in the right-hand drawer under the counter. The wooden rolling pin was in there, too, and some tongs, I think, and assorted cookie cutters and other tools of the kitchen. On Thursdays, she would get out her great big old mixing bowl and the spoon, and she'd make nut hermit cookies or ginger snaps. The mixing spoon was, I think, her connection to the dough, sort of an extension of her hand and her arm and, and I guess her spirit. I love that memory. The memory I don't love quite so much about the wooden spoon is that it doubled as a bottom paddler. When my brother and I went off the rails, as two boys often will, out came the spoon. It happened often enough, I guess, that pretty soon all it took was my mother rattling the drawer and peace would immediately return to the valley. Years later, when my mother was all morphined up as she prepared to leave this world... She and the spoon left me with another memory. In her mind, she was back baking cookies. I watched her as she held a phantom bowl in one arm and stirred some ephemeral batter with, well, with a memory spoon. It's My last memory of her. My father died a few years later and my brother and sisters and I had the task of dividing up the household. Now that was an amazing day. We went from the basement to the attic, we were talking and laughing and remembering, and the only rule for who got what was this. In the event that two of us wanted the same thing, it went to whomever had the greater need. Pretty simple. So my brother ended up with a, with a four-inch machine gun shell. There's a long story to that. And a filigree and amber brooch. It's also a really long story to that. But he needed both of those way more than I did, although I would have loved to have had them. But I got the spoon. And on Sundays, when I bake bread or I bake cookies, out it comes. I've tried my hand at whittling a few spoons, thinking that I could pass them on to my kids. But spoons, I think, decide their own role in life. You can't really decide for them. And if you try, well, they're spoons, and they'll probably just stir things up.
3: Terran Dodd's wooden spoon career began while mixing cake batter with his mother.
0: When my sister was getting married, I think that was 1966, my mother made her wedding cake, and she wanted to make the same kind of a cake she had when she got married. She had the recipe, she even borrowed the same cake pans. And it was an old English wedding cake, which was a kind of a fruit cake. The recipe was all in pounds, so many pounds of flour, so many pounds of raisins, so many pounds of currants and so forth, it all added up to 29 pounds of cake batter. And she had a plastic tub, that was a lot of stuff and it was thick, sticky, heavy stuff and So she stirred and stirred, and she got me to help her, and I stirred and she stirred and I stirred and she stirred. And you had to be careful or you'd break the handle off her old wooden spoon. I thought, I have uh, three more sisters. She is bound to do this again sometime. I had better make her a spoon that is really up to the job. So I went out to the woodshed and found a piece of maple And I made her a spoon about this long.
3: Taryn stretches one hand high into the air, the other down
0: to the floor. Well, she never used it. She never made another wedding cake. But My sisters all got married a long ways from home, and so she didn't uh, do that. But I got the idea of making spoons.
3: That was in Washington State, where he grew up, raised by a family of woodworkers. His grandfather his father and his mother. The kind of woman who, if...
0: She wanted uh, a desk. She built herself a desk, you see.
3: Taryn grew up a Quaker. I don't know if being practical or skillful is one of the tenets of their faith as practicing nonviolence is, but it seems as though creating useful things with a little whimsical beauty thrown in is what drives Taryn.
0: Wooden spoons, I make some of them that are just... Curiosities or something, but uh, lots of people have a useful one, and so they are useful, and you can make them beautiful, too. The tree has a lot to do with that. You have to give the tree a lot of credit. It worked for years on it, and I only worked for half an hour or something, maybe, at the most.
3: Give the tree the credit. His property has white spruce lining the edge of the field, There are tamaracks and larch too. Maples and beech are interspersed, not sugar maples, but red maples, and some poplars are out in the field. Taren used to be able to cut down trees to make his spoons, but now people bring wood to him. Sometimes it will be a specific tree, but most often, especially in winter, he just rummages through his wood pile for something that looks inspiring. Sometimes his customers from craft fairs give him wood. They'll pick up a spoon, like I've done, and ask what it is. When they learn it's plum, for example, they make the connection. Hey, I have a plum tree in my backyard. Do you want some of it? Taryn's story zigzags back and forth from Washington as a kid to Philadelphia as a college student, then to Cape Breton, almost on a whim. One of his college friends was a camp counselor there, so after college one summer, he decided to tag along. His first impression?
0: I thought, wow this is a beautiful place and besides that um the price of land is cheap compared to where I grew up and maybe I could afford a place here where I I really couldn't there and besides that oh there was thousands of people speaking Gaelic and that interested me I had tried already tried to uh, learn uh, Gaelic uh, from books and I uh, I had learned some, uh, but I hadn't uh, met anybody who really spoke it. I didn't uh, know how to get the pronunciation right and so forth. <laughs> so I, I was always afraid I was going to say something wrong. What did you so say? That's what I said. I was, I was, I, I was afraid I, I was going to say something <laughs> wrong.
3: So he stayed. He got a job as a teacher in Cape Breton. Then he traveled back home and worked there for a while, then traveled back to Cape Breton and eventually settled on a career as a wooden spoon maker, selling his work at local craft fairs, sharing the history behind his spoons. During the Vietnam War, American draft dodgers settled in Cape Breton. When I heard Terran's slight accent and heard he lived in Cape Breton, I assumed that was his story. But then I learned he was a Quaker. He wasn't a draft dodger. He was a conscientious objector. He practiced nonviolence. After I visited Taryn's workshop, I kept wondering, did Quakers use the wooden spoon to spank their kids? Did his mother have a mother's helper? He answered my question in an email. It reads, We were never spanked with any sort of tool. If someone looking at my spoon says something like, wouldn't that be good for the kids? I generally say something like, if that's what you're going to do with it, you can't have it. The artist William Morris said, have nothing in your house that you know not to be useful or believe to be beautiful. That's the wooden spoon. It's usefulness, I suppose, that depends on the family, the kind of food they make, their faith, whether or not they have a kitchen aid, or how fast the kid can scissor kick a sofa. P.S. Taryn eats all his meals with a wooden spoon, except for one
0: thing. I don't eat hard-boiled eggs with them. It's about the only thing because a wooden spoon is not sharp enough to cut a hard-boiled egg right, you know.
3: Thanks to Taron Dodd, wooden spoon maker. You can order his spoons at TaronDodd.com. And special thanks to Dick Miller and Skye Manson for your Wooden Spoon stories. You can find Skye and her co-host Sophie Hansen on the My Open Kitchen podcast, wherever you find your podcasts, or at my-open-kitchen.com. Dick Miller can be found teaching advanced radio documentary at the University of King's College School of Journalism, my alma mater, right here in Halifax. I'll have all of this in the show notes on lindsaycameronwilson.ca forward slash The Food Podcast. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at The Food Podcast. I'd love to hear from you. And as always, thanks to Jen Grant for our theme song. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson.